I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. I'm Pratik, and today I have with me Shambhavi and Sudhila. and we're going to be talking about the national digital health mission today so uh, a couple of weeks ago the ministry of health and family welfare outlined its vision to create and i'm just going to quote here from the website which says create a national digital health mission that supports universal health coverage in efficient accessible inclusive affordable uh, and timely and a safe a timely and safe manner right uh, and they also go on to go on to say about how this is going to ensure security confidentiality and privacy of health related personal information uh, and the health minister has also commented on how this is going to change radically change the health landscape uh, of this country right. so b- before we go into the specifics right i, I guess you know uh, shamir zina can one of you tell us about how this whole thing has has come about uh, and you know why are we here today thanks pati so first uh, in 2017 the ministry of health and family welfare it came up with the national health policy and one of its objectives was to uh, digitize the healthcare system of india so following that uh, following the national health policy of 2017 uh, the government of india came up with the national digital health mission so they were planning to enforce this mission by creating digital health records and creating and maintaining registries for healthcare professionals and health facilities uh, so that uh, there would be interoperability and uh, the data could be exchanged smoothly without any difficulty the uh, following that it came up with the national digital health blueprint in 2019 uh, which recommended a federated architecture instead of a centralized architecture for management of health data uh, to ensure interoperability or uh, technological flexibility and independence across the national digital health ecosystem so according to this federated structure the data will be collected at three levels that is central state level and lastly at the health facility level so following all these developments the government has now come up uh, government as in the ministry of health and family welfare has now come up with the health data management policy which according to them is the first step in realizing the national digital health mission's guiding principle of security and privacy by design for the protection of individuals data rights okay and uh, what exactly you know from from your reading of uh, of the policy that come out right uh, what do you think what are the key features of it uh, and how will it radically change the health landscape or will it the good thing about the policy is that it actually focuses on the informed consent aspect of the uh, data protection because that is uh, because when you take information from someone you need to have their permission right uh, so it focuses on that and it gives completely uh, freedom to the data principle data principle is the one who actually provides the personal health information so uh, that is a good thing about the policy um thanks anila uh, so if you can, if you look at the health ecosystem um, in india right there's a lot of 
information asymmetry per se in terms of uh, health services available, the pricing for health services, for example, um, and even for uh, individuals uh, to keep all medical records in one place and to be able to go to a doctor with all of those medical records sometimes to get uh, a good and effective service uh, based on their personal uh, personal history, right? Um, and I think the idea behind NDHM is to make that um, information asymmetry go away to an extent um, and be able to offer better health services based on visibility. Whether the NDHM actually do, does will do that or not is a very different topic because that has to be uh, based on the way our health ecosystem currently works. This policy, the one that we are talking about today, the data management policy is basically trying to figure out a way that we can manage whatever data we are gathering to reduce the information asymmetry. So if we focus on that aspect itself, uh, that is also a little problematic uh, because the policy itself does not actually take into account the fact that they're looking at health data. You can actually take out the word health from it. Uh, and it seems as if it's a, any data protection legal contract that's that could be signed between two individuals or an entity and an individual. It, it actually boils down to something of that simplistic nature. It doesn't account for the purposes for which health data could be uh, taken. It basically says that the data principle, as Sunil was saying, is the owner of the data, but it doesn't allude to what the data is going to be used for at all. So in that case, I think it seems like a placeholder for the broader data protection bill uh, that we're all waiting for that has been highly uh, debated over the past many years now. It, it seems to be like a document more than a policy and it seems to be like a placeholder for the argument, hey, but we don't have a data protection bill, so how can you be collecting health data? And the counter to that argument is, no, we have this policy that all your data is protected. I don't think this is sufficient. Um, it is definitely not uh, sufficient. We have su definitely not have sufficient debate on the idea of taking all of this health data and what's to be done with it. But even on the particular point of how health data should be collected, I don't think this uh, policy is sufficient. Yeah, I, I think that that's, a, that's a good point that you make, right? And normally a critique that we hear is, hey, you don't have data protection framework in place. So how can you be doing this, right? Uh, and it seems like, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, you need to have some sort of policy in, in place. But uh, an, another question that I wanted to ask you is that, you know, do you think that uh, the way this is structured right now, right? And, and you made a good point of that. You can remove the word health uh, and it will still pretty much uh, read the same. Uh, but, to, you know, with that context, do you think it ref reflects the state of the health infrastructure and the health ecosystem in India at all? Because again, it, this has to ideally build on top of a real world system, right? Uh, this is just a layer on top of that. Uh, in an ideal case, uh, but you know, from from your reading of it, how how well do you think it fits with that? Right, it and it doesn't at all. I mean, um, this fits into a system such like the U UK's NHS, right, where um, you have uh, clinics which are all under NHS. So you understand that there's going to be a standard of care which is going to be universal there. Um, and then you go to a clinic and you get the same kind of data out that you would have that you can then take on to another clinic, which we don't have here in India. I mean, we don't have the basic governmental infrastructure to deliver health services, which can be universalized. Uh, we have family physicians. Uh, we have so many different types of medicines being practiced that how do you even collect that data? How do you make, how does one doctor make sense of somebody else's readings is beyond my understanding. The cost to a general practitioner to now move from the system that they have set up to a possible online setup where they actually might be the data fiduciary as well. I mean, from a big hospital point of view, it makes a sense. It makes, makes sense to have, to hold data. And I think big hospitals anyways hold data to the extent possible. But 
the normal GP who has a little clinic, the cost for them to move to this is going to be tremendous. Uh, move, maintain and yeah, to move and maintain to this is going to be tremendous. And if they do not move, then the question we have to ask ourselves is, is it even worth doing an exercise of this sort? Because we don't do even know the proportion of people yeah. who go to just uh, just these GPs. And I mean, think about it in villages, right? So I come from a village in um, in Maharashtra. We don't even have a doctor. We have someone who comes visiting on a scooter every week or so. Uh, and anyone who's ill basically calls him and asks him to stay, stop by at their, at their house. How do we expect this guy to be part of the NDHM and to follow this data policy is a little beyond me. Uh, that's from the particular data policy angle. From the health angle as well, there are certain uh, gaps uh, in this document. For example, um, they, they have this section on sensitive personal data. And I don't think this means that all of this data will be collected. I think there has been some misreading of this in some reports that all of this data will be collected as part of the NDHM. I don't think that is what they plan to do. I think they were just trying to say that this is sensitive personal data uh, and should be treated as such. But even the language that they have to use is really funny. I mean, they've, they called about, uh, they say transgender status instead of just gender. I, I really don't understand where that has come from. Uh, you could probably just get away with saying gender, right? Why transgender status? Uh, then they speak about caste or tribe. And again, there has a health angle to, a, to, to taking caste or tribe uh, data because we know that certain communities are predisposed to diseases. So in some ways, it does make sense to have that kind of data. But yeah, I think you did not have to put it in the way it has been put in there. Adding on to that, I think uh, it's not just the lack of health infrastructure, but it's the lack of legal infrastructure as well. Uh, because this policy, it states that the consent of data principle will be considered valid only if it complies with the standards that are set out under the Indian Contract Act of 1872. And the act is just a generic act which prescribes the law relating to contracts in India and is the key act regulating the contract law. So, I mean, this contract law, when you take informed consent, uh, especially in the healthcare sector, it has different implications from any other informed consent because health is a very serious matter here. But Indian Contract Act doesn't have any provisions relating to uh, consent in healthcare. So I guess even that is lacking here. So we need to have some laws which... Uh, are pertaining to specifically informed consent in the healthcare sector. Right. And I'm just going to add on to that as well. So we already have guidelines that control ethics, um, at least in research. Um, and a lot of that data pertains to health. So I think we also have to see how this will marry with uh, those existing guidelines. The one thing that stood out for me from these guidelines was the concept of consent manager. Um, mm-hmm. Because for all other guidelines that are related to um, health per se, uh, the consent manager is usually your doctor especially when they're enrolling you in a trial, it is the responsibility of the lead scientist or the lead doctor to make sure that people understand what they are enrolling into. Obviously, for a clinical trial, there's a massive more landscape than just saying that we're going to keep your data in a database and will be used for specific purposes. But it is up to the doctor to make sure that the, the people understand what they're giving their data for. And since with the data policy, the purpose itself is unsure, um, they also talk about this concept that you should have a consent manager, which can be a person or an entity. So very much like the apps that we use, where we do agree or I do not agree, kind of like that. Uh, Except the fact 
is that here you are looking at somebody's health data which not only impinges on them but very likely on their family members as well right so if i say i have a history of uh, blood pressure uh, and that is related to some genes that i have which means that my siblings also might have blood pressure high blood pressure right so i am not only consenting to give my data but also their data yeah. inferences can be made about them based on my data rather uh and so to it is very necessary that whoever is giving or taking that consent uh ensures that the person who is giving data understands this right so you can't just have a interface that says i agree i do not agree uh it has to be more than that when it comes to handing over at least certain aspects of the health data yeah and, and from my reading of it it's, it seems to be that it's structured more for the latter right where it's an interface and not uh, not necessarily a person that, that's managing it yeah and as soon as i think you were also mentioning before we started something about uh, a data retention or an archival policy do, do you want to talk a little bit about that ah uh, yes so i think when we are talking about analyzing uh, the aspects of this policy i think it is uh, important to note that they have already mentioned in the document that this policy should not be read as a standalone document and that it should be read in uh, read along with uh, the national digital uh, national digital health blueprint the information security policy and the data retention and archival policy the interesting thing here is that they haven't formulated these policies yet so whatever way we analyze this policy i think it will be incomplete unless we actually get to see those other policies as well so okay that, that's interesting so i you know i was doing some reading about this uh, this as well right uh, and i think some of the things that that uh, came out uh, came across was that uh, there also doesn't seem to be a very clear linkage in terms of how this will interact with uh, the data protection bill itself right i don't believe that that explicitly called out uh, whether and you, know, you can always have that debate on whether it's whether the right approach to data protection is whether you go horizontal in one wide policy covering everything or you lay down principles in a uh, you know in in a in one policy and then you have sectoral uh, regulation right like like we sort of been doing with finance it isn't clear whether this is exactly that a sectoral regulation per se because there is mention of a data protection authority as well specific to health data in the document itself right but it it it's not really clear of how this is going to play with the personal data protection bill there's also another thing that was interesting to me which was the personal data protection bill makes a distinction in uh, different class of fiduciary right you have a normal data fiduciary and you have a, something that called a significant data fiduciary in which you impose additional obligations such as uh, data audits and etc right this seems to hold everyone to similar standards of a sig- significant data fiduciary which is probably understandable given that it is health data but again uh, going back to what chambu we used you said right in terms of how this is going to impact a general practitioner or a family physician or the neighborhood clinic uh, how they will comply with this or what cost this is going to impose on them whether they choose to opt in or opt out that remains to be seen right because i, I think uh, another thing that's interesting is that they've 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 taken pains to state the voluntary nature of this yeah right uh, which again which which was Which is interesting. I say that you know, I, it's a podcast, so you can't see me doing air quotes. Uh, but uh, it, it it is certainly interesting in the sense that there is this intention to just make sure that there isn't any misunderstanding on on that front. That it yes, it's going to be voluntary. You can opt out, or even to the extent of saying that uh, you will not be denied any uh, 
health care services because you don't have an health idea you don't have an yeah. aadhar it's like aarogya setu uh, exactly right so uh, i mean that's a different thing <laughs> but it is so voluntary nature but hey you're going to require it um... exactly okay yeah in, in in that sense yes, yeah right so exactly so they so they've, they've been at pains to to point out that it's voluntary but how this gets implemented again is is a different yeah, yeah and i also, think that that's like, where your um, i think an opt out system is is not the best way of approaching this um, anyways i'm approaching any consent related uh, thing right I, th- i remember having this conversation also for the data protection bill because initially that had an opt out mechanism as well and there were a lot of discussions that we sh- you cannot keep an automatic list and where you can opt okay. out of people have to be able to opt in and choose yeah with informed consent to to be part of something Yeah, I, I think a great example of informed consent or the lack thereof, right? Uh, and I'm going to go on a slight tangent. Uh, was what happened with uh, the admit cards, right? For yeah, yeah. Uh, we basically said that hey, if you if you've downloaded the admit card, it means you want to. It it it's a you're showing a strong desire that you want to attend. You you know you want to take part in the exam and this and that. When it's not really the same thing at all, right? Uh, so yeah, again, I I agree that. Uh, I'm going off on a slight tangent, but I think it, it's important to understand the ecosystem of how informed consent works in society as well, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And if my doctor sees, I, I remember having this conversation at the time of uh, discussing ethics on in clinical trials, and uh, many of the doctors were trying to figure out a better mechanism for getting consent, because from their point of view, the patient is completely and totally vulnerable and completely dependent on the doctor. If the doctor says, "Hey, this clinical trial is good for you," they will not say no. It's going to be very difficult. It's only a very small percentage of Indian citizens who would actually sit on Google and read up, make a decision based on that, right? And so there was actual concerns on how doctors or people in positions of responsibility might be able to exploit people to. you know be part of clinical trials i'm not saying that that is entirely true of this as well but we really really have to take informed consent more seriously uh than we do yeah and and googling uh, googling health conditions unfortunately <laughs> actually it's it, 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 it's a dangerous rabbit hole because <laughs> i always end up with cancer uh, right if uh, yeah, when i do that brain cancer i think is very it, prevalent it, it, Yeah, among, so amongst Google MDs, there's also this thing called biobanking, uh, and biobanking research has been going on for a long time. And what we mean by biobanking is that people usually give a small amount of tissue or, um, say, a blood sample, and uh, researchers will use that data to be able to understand, say, diseases in a particular population or. Uh, look at um, uh, genetic uh, variations among a population right for example with cancer a lot of the cancer tissue that uh, gets biopsied or taken out can be given to studies to figure out better treatments to figure out how the cancer is formed etc etc and that is you giving over health data it is health data that, that is captured in a database and then gets used for a specific purpose and when you actually set out those databases you have to talk about what the purpose is you have to get ethical clearances for keeping that data and you are not allowed to share that data with anybody uh, you are not allowed to use the data for any other purpose uh, without first getting an ethical clearance again and the person has who has given the data has the choice of withdrawing their consent at any point of time after which you cannot actually use that data at all so i mean even if you have gathered it and you have it in place you can't actually use it those principles don't seem to apply to this policy at all right uh, and this policy is very similar to that you are collecting data with a purpose of improving your health landscape which is an extremely broad broad purpose you don't know 
who is collecting the data, where it is going to be collected, when it's going to be used, for what purpose. And all of those things need to be addressed now. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. Uh, and yeah, the, the other thing I think it's also worth talking about is the nature of the consultation itself, right? And I think that's, in my mind, that raised a lot of questions uh, too, because this came out initially with, uh, I believe a one week timeline, seven days uh, to respond to it. Then it was extended by a week. And I think now it's been extended by another 11 days to September 21st. Yeah. Right. Uh, which again, to, to me seems like, you know, uh, a, a subject of this important, right? That the fact that it, it can come out with a one week uh, consultation is just, is just amazing to me. Uh, <laughs> well, it it didn't surprise me as much because uh, last year we were working on the gen- genetic editing guidelines for India, and that consultation was for four days. Yeah, I mean, again, that that's not not the you know, that's not what the norm should be, right? It uh, should not the, be. We we definitely and definitely on on things of uh, data privacy and the uses of uh, health data, we need a bigger and much wider debate than the one we currently have. My suspicion is that maybe the national health ID is something that could be used for uh, the proposed vaccination, uh, COVID-19 vaccination drive that we intend to have. Potentially. Uh, it would make kind of sense. This is just my suspicion. So I, 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 right, I'm right, completely right. speculating here. Uh, and to have the data, because for the vaccination drive, one of the things that is going to be important is to uh, be able to capture uh, health data to ensure that there are no adverse events after the vaccination. It might be necessary to look at things like uh, blood pressure or diabetes to uh, see if you have comorbidities and therefore when should you get the vaccine, right? There might be things related to that. And I suspect that that putting this in place is necessary to be able to um, enable that data collection and safe delivery of the vaccine. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go back a bit because you're talking about informed consent right? and there's mm-hmm. again something that, that struck me. Uh, if you actually go to the website where you are, where you can give feedback, right? uh, there's a nice red line checkbox that says I agree to terms and conditions, which has no link. If you look closely enough, there is a section at the bottom which says policy terms and conditions. Uh, but if you go to that, it basically says coming soon. <laughs> uh, and you need to accept the terms and conditions to be able to uh, actually give feedback on this policy document. <laughs> So yeah, that's uh, that's informed consent. Okay, I think we all agree that we need a bit, a bit, yeah. a wider debate than the one we currently have. Yeah, that, that's true. That, uh, yeah, I think we can okay. leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On that note, uh, hoping for a wider debate. Let Let's wrap this up here. Thanks, Surila. Thanks, Yamal. Thanks, Prati. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila INST or our website takshashila.org.in.